Welcome to another episode of Churches Thriving. My name is Kyle Bryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Aniston First, and I'm here with our senior pastor, Tammy Jackson. And we are in this uh, series, we're looking at a couple of books, Autopsy of a Deceased Church and Anatomy of of a Revived Church. And we're looking at the characteristics of churches that have died or in decline to see what kind of insight we can gain about how we might proceed as a church and and what are some ways and some things that we can avoid and what are some practices maybe that we can embrace to in to begin thriving as a church in this post-Christian time and in this COVID world that we now mm-hmm. live in. We know that COVID has deeply impacted what is happening in churches. Um, a lot of people, when they had to go home, when they were not able to come because of the pandemic, they've adjusted to that and no longer feel like they need a church community. And it has amplified. They've had time to think about the things they didn't like about their church or the things that they did like. One of the things that we noticed was if people have deep relationships, if they're connected to the people at the church, they tended to want to get back. They focused on the good things they were missing. If they were going to church for um, the good music or the good preaching or it was a popular place to go, then many of those have found other avenues online for Mm -hmm. that and not going back. So they have focused on the things they didn't like as reasons to help them separate from the church. So with people making that kind of move that has accelerated what we saw going on in the United States already for like the last 50, 60 Mm -hmm. years, that decline, um, it's a good time for us to stop and look at the things that help us thrive and the things that do not help us thrive. Those things that hinder us. Yes. We've looked at... um, one that we described as slow erosion, mm-hmm. um, this real, this kind of reality that over time you don't mm-hmm. really notice it, but mm-hmm. the church just kind of slowly declines. Mm-hmm. You know, you you may lose twenty people this year, but you mm-hmm. add ten, mm-hmm. um, and so it just kind of slowly begins to dwindle. Um, and then one day you look up and you realize that we've lost a whole bunch of people. Lost a whole bunch of people. Right. It happens with programs and it happens with your physical space as well. We get used to it. It's just a little ding, it's just a little smudge, it's just mm-hmm. one box of stuff sitting there. We'll move mm-hmm. that. And we get used to seeing that and we don't see it with the same eyes. Um same thing for programs. Mm-hmm. The when we do something for so long, it's easy to get non-intentional about it and we stop doing it with a great sense of excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, or we forget even why we do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've we've talked about that, but we've also looked at the way the past can become romanticized, mm-hmm. um, how it can go- become the hero. If we could just go back to that time in uh, that time in uh, in the past, mm-hmm. if we can just do things the way mm-hmm. we used to do in the past, then that's that's mm-hmm. going to fix it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a very natural human way to respond to things, because sometimes that works in our um, in our other lives. If the lamp is not working the last time, it was because the light bulb needed to be changed. So my assumption is I need to change the light bulb again. Um, but it, that may not be the cause this time. Right. Right. But, you know, you keep you keep changing the light bulb. You change the light bulb five times and it keeps, <laughs> you know, going out early. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should. Maybe there's maybe a there's something else with the lamp. Yeah, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and it expecting is. different results. Yeah, <laughs> but there's also a difference between 
not worshiping the past, not making it the hero, and honoring the past. You can honor without revering Mm -hmm. um, and trying to go back there. You can't live in the past. So that's where we've been, and just to give you an idea of where we're going, today we're talking about the characteristic of declining or deceased churches. Um, that's kind of challenging. I think it's. Yeah. I think they're all challenging, but mm-hmm. I think this one is really challenging because for us it is a very, um, very real reality, mm-hmm. and that is when the church ceases to look like the community mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm. Because we know that over time, neighborhoods and communities change. Um, what is the the neighborhood that has all the young families with the kids in it? As those kids grow, are the ones that have all the teenagers, and then there are all the ones that have the empty nesters, and then it has older people, and then it then sometimes it begins to turn over and revitalize. So neighborhoods do change. Um, new houses get built, the people move to different areas, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that happens with churches. Is we tend to be located in a building. And the community around us changes, but we don't always change inside those doors. And so it can be racial, it can be ethnic, it can be socioeconomic, or it can be age. And I would add, I would add it mm-hmm. can also be sexuality. That's true. It could also be that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a really interesting comment in Tom Rainer's book where he talks about how the change can be subtle And then suddenly you hit a tipping point where it becomes dramatic Mm -hmm. that one family moves out to another area because they want more room, a larger house, a different school system, Mm -hmm. closer to work, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then others begin to follow suit and go. But things don't really often change for the church right then because they're perfectly willing to drive back to their church. It's only 20 minutes, maybe. It's their church, and they love it, and they have that history and connection. But you reach a point at which those people's children, or particularly their grandchildren, do not. And either they're forming their own families and, and moving out, or they begin to look around for something closer to where they live, or now they go to school in a different district and want to go to church with the kids they go to school with. And so it becomes a a point at which you suddenly look around and go, that slow erosion became kind of dramatic as people left. And as you you say that, I'm thinking about just the challenges that that we have with doing different ministries. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we have... But when you have Sacred Heart and you have Donahoe and you have mm-hmm. Faith Christian and you have mm-hmm. Oxford and you have Anniston, mm-hmm. trying to build a cohesive mm-hmm. anything with with all of children from different elementary schools mm-hmm. and different um, middle schools and high schools, that's, that, that's really challenging. It is. It can be very challenging. There's also when the majority of your members come from another area where they live to worship, it changes the schedule that you have in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had this in, in other churches um, where we would hold meetings at 5 or 5.15 or 5.30 because we caught people as they got off. Because mm-hmm. if you ever let them go home, they're not going to drive oh, back. Um, in other places, if your church is closer to where the people live and they drive to work, then you can't do a meeting until 6 or 7 because you ne- they need time to get off, drive home, turn their hat around and come to your meeting or your class or whatever activity you are that you're doing. So when we talk about looking like the community, the first thing we need to talk about is, is what is our community? Mm -hmm. Like how big a space are are we talking about? 
And most people think the first unit they'll encourage you to look at is like within a mile radius of where you are. Well, we're located in a fairly business district. There's not a lot of residential right around where we are. So that's a very, very small number when you do a mile. But if you go out about four mile radius of our location at 1400 Noble Street, you get uh, the vast majority um, of, of our members and a pretty good representation of the community. If you go 11 to 12 miles out, you'll get all of our members except for a, a small, small handful. Mm-hmm. But that's really larger than our community. Our actual community would be somewhere between that one and four mile radius. So, so what is what? So, when we talk about, um, because we're located in Anderson, mm-hmm. and when we talk about demographic stuff, mm-hmm. um, what is the what's kind of the demographic? Well, um, in Anniston proper, there we're about forty nine percent Caucasian and about fifty um, percent African American or Black, and then we have a, a small percentage of Hispanic and um, Asian. Um, in the population, we have slightly more females than we do men. Um, and the older the demographic gets, the um, the more women there are in that group. We have a lot of different ages around there. We are currently in a trend where our children are aging out of school as as they move through. We don't have as many children coming behind them, but. The data shows us that we have a good many preschoolers out there, so that will probably um, change. And very often communities go through cycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of economic um, disparity um, in the area. The average income in, in a household is um, somewhere oh, – gosh, I'm, I'm lost the numbers in my head now – 40-something, I think. No, it's 30-something. For the white families, it's about 47, so it's about 10,000 more than the average. And for black families, it it tends to be about 10,000 under. It's around 27. Um, So there's a a significant difference economically um, for us. We have fewer college graduates in this area than the state overall, which was surprising to me with us being adjacent to Jacksonville. So it'd be really easy to... Mm -hmm. Drive over to Jacksonville and get your degree. But we're pretty evenly divided between blue-collar and white-collar workers um, in there. So it, it's an interesting um, demographic field that we have. So so when you when you think about our own congregation, um, in what ways are we similar to our community? In what ways are we dissimilar? Well, we... Our membership or participation, participation is probably the better demographic to use. Um, We are not representative of the racial and ethnic makeup of our community. We have some diversity among us, but not a a 48, 49, 50 kind of, kind of split. Yeah. Well, and two, you you mentioned the um, blue collar, white collar thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think probably we're predominantly white collar. I think Um, we are. I think probably the church would have been more white collar um, a decade or so ago, maybe two decades, Mm but um, I I definitely think we, that's a, I don't think we're as far out of sync. I don't think so either. um, Socioeconomically as we are racial and ethically. Mm -hmm. Um, And it became one of the signs that it talks about in the book that 
can tell you if you are if your neighborhood has changed and you're losing touch with your community. And I'm I'm just going to quote him here on page 27. If you talk to members about a dying church, most will deny that their church is a fortress. But in our autopsy, we found this is exactly what was taking place. People in the community do not feel welcome in the church, and those in the church are more concerned about protecting than they are about reaching. Mm. Um, We get to a point where we um, feel unsafe. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about need for security, for lighting, Mm -hmm. for locks, for... Um, those kinds of things, that's a, a real symptom of the fact that we've lost touch with our community. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that those th- things are not true. Mm-hmm. It just, the fact that we feel that way, that our first instinct is, I'm afraid, because that's different than me, mm-hmm. rather than, hey, these are also people we want to come to our church. Right. These are people I know, even. Right. Yeah. So it becomes um, a hard thing to look at, but we it's part of that life cycle of an organization that I've, I've drawn the bell curve several times for these classes in person. But every organization has a birth and it has a growth. And the early days of growth can tend to be very chaotic um, while they figure out who they are and how to make it all work. And then you reach a maturity where you're fairly stable. Things are going well. Then if you aren't careful, you begin to decline and you will decline until you die. Think about how many businesses start. They're going great guns, and you, you turn around, and they're gone. Um, the first thing that we do when things begin to decline is we get nostalgic. That's making the past the hero. The next thing we do is create levels of bureaucracy, and we want to preserve and hold on to and not release. And that'll come up more as we talk about the way we spend our funds in the next episode. Um, but that also is involving like the protection, like we have to protect what we have, and that includes our members and our building and our programs and all those kinds of things that we protect, whereas God gifts us with those resources so that we can reach the world so for Christ. Our communities. Mm-hmm. So when, when churches come, and I don't want to move on to um, the solution, because I think we need to sit with these things for mm-hmm. a minute, and we need to sit with the discomfort, but... We, you know, we kind of need some hope. So mm-hmm. what are what are options for churches who come to that realization that they they don't look like their <laughs> community, um, but they maybe they want to try okay. to look like their community? Well, that's one of the options is to decide to reach your community. Mm-hmm. And that means being intentional about discovering who those people are in your community. Far too often, we think we know what people who are different from us need. Mm-hmm. And so we want to go help them. Yeah. It really is. Which is one of the reasons when we talk about ministry with different groups in our annual conference, we talk about ministry with the poor, mm-hmm. ministry with minorities, mm-hmm. because until we get to know somebody and listen, we don't know what they need. Mm-hmm. And our assumptions from not having that relationship may be very different. Mm-hmm. We don't know for sure why they're not coming here. Right. Um, do they not feel welcome? Do they have another church that's already meeting their needs? Have we shut them out or not been friendly? Have we failed to invite? Do they even know we're here? Until you have conversations and build bridges, you don't know. Right. 
And I think there, that's important. And I think there's some other things that, you know, mm-hmm. churches can do. I think um, if you are trying to reach out to a community that's different than you, um, it's probably important that you hire a, a staff person mm-hmm. or two that looks mm-hmm. like or mm-hmm. um, thinks like um, mm-hmm. people in that community. Um, you know, if you're trying to reach out to a community that's predominantly African-American, you know, it, it's probably going to be a good idea that you hire an African-American children's mm-hmm. minister, you know, mm-hmm. or at least somebody mm-hmm. so that that mm-hmm. they can see that that place is a, is a safe place and they have mm-hmm. somebody, somebody to identify with. And that doesn't mean that they can't identify with somebody who doesn't look like them. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to reach the LGBTQ community, it doesn't have to just be L- LGBTQ people who do that. Right. To reach ethnic minorities, it doesn't have to be just that Absolutely. ethnicity. But it's the same argument that we make for having female ministers on staff. Mm-hmm. Many little girls might hear God calling them to something if they even knew. Yeah. They need to see it see in there. So it's one of the ways that we say, you are important to us and we want you to be part of our congregation and we're going to invest in this in reaching and looking like our community. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and of course there's other things, you know, what kind of music do mm-hmm. uh, do people like to sing? What mm-hmm. kind of worship style did they mm-hmm. are they interested in? Um, what kind of art do you have around the church? Mm, that's a good do, one. Do you have art that um, reflects values different than just the mm-hmm. the dominant culture in your congregation? Um, mm-hmm. There's there's all sorts of ways, really. Yeah, because we want to feel comfortable. In a space, and we talk about a family. We want to make everybody in that family feel comfortable. Um, I had two boys, so I was the only female in the house for a long time, and now I have a daughter-in-law, and so I've had to think about um, what's comfortable for another another woman being around. If you have a child who dates someone outside of. Um, your culture, you you think about how to make them comfortable when they come to your home. Do I have things that they are comfortable drinking or eating mm-hmm. or sleeping or temperatures? We think about those things. We also need to apply that within the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I think one of the boldest things people can do, um, you know, if they want to get to know people in their immediate community, is they can move into it. Yes. Um, rather than mm-hmm. you know moving away from it, make an intentional mm-hmm. effort to move into the community. We have folks here at Aniston First mm-hmm. who have actually done that, yeah. who have intentionally moved mm-hmm. into um, communities that need some revitalization mm-hmm. in, in different mm-hmm. ways. Trying to be an agent of change, trying to be at least invested and mm-hmm. know the the community. There are, however, a few things that um, Tom Rayner discusses. If you're not going to choose to reach your community, because um, this is the story we've watched play out in the United Methodist Church for years now, is every year we go to annual conference and we read that list of the churches that have closed mm-hmm. and we grieve and we say a prayer for them. And, and the hope, at least on paper, is that the members there have gone to another church. Um Far too often when a church closes, we simply lose those members because the members there were so angry that the church was closing. And the thing is, I I don't think that the conference right now is trying to close churches. What they're doing is 
members come to the realization that they can't keep the church mm-hmm. open any longer. And it usually the building gets sold or are gifted to another church that picks it up and, and thrives. Mm-hmm. And our brains would say, why could we not make a go of that when that church is? Mm-hmm. And the answer is usually because the new church looks like the community. Mm-hmm. And we didn't. Mm-hmm. So if we're not going to reach the community, some of the things that he suggests are you could sell the property and give the funds to another church. You could give the building. So instead of selling it mm-hmm. and giving the money, just give them the property. Um, if you're in a transitional neighborhood, you could turn over leadership and property to those who actually reside in the neighborhood and relocate your congregation to a neighborhood that's more representative of who your church is. Or you could merge with another church, a church that could be strengthened by its interaction with you that's already in and part of the community. But in order to do that, you have to release leadership to the other church. And that's it's a painful piece. This one's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah. And it's really hard because that slow erosion is kind of what happens in the community. It changes so slowly that often by the time we realize it and realize that it's a problem, there's a, a pretty deep chasm mm-hmm. between the church and the community. Um, I see some hopeful bridges in our own congregation of things we're trying to do and um, attitudes and convictions mm-hmm. that we wrestle with with that. But I think it's important that we remember that God puts us in a particular location to do ministry with those we encounter there. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Well, that's all we have today on Churches Thriving. I look forward to being with you next week when we talk about the next characteristic of dying churches, which is when the budget turns inward. inward. We'll (laughs) see you next week.